Hi, I'm JT White, author, digital native, and product person, obsessed with trying to find out how to make digital products and the people that make them the best we possibly can. This is Build for Better. My guest today is Ryan Bricklemeyer, Director of Media Operations and Strategy for T-Mobile Ads. Ryan is a product executive, a voice in the digital out-of-home space, an operations executive, an industry ad tech vet. More importantly, he's a friend. He's one of the more empathetic product people I've ever been around. Thrilled to pick his brain today on how to send unmixed signals to create the best teams and digital products you can. This is Ryan. All right, so we're going to talk about unmixed signals today with with you, Ryan. And the reason I was so excited about you in particular is because I have worked with lots of product people and lots of operations people, and I cannot think of a single person who had as much empathy for both sides as you you do. I will take that as a big compliment. Yeah, yeah. But it also has always put you in like a really interesting position, I think, because when we were talking about what to do the podcast on together, um, the word that just always come up comes up for me with you is communication because you have to communicate such like it's the same problem, but it matters so much how you position that problem to people. And so I just want to start like with a very basic, why are you like that? <laughs> like, why, why can you do that? It's a, you know what? It's, it's really interesting. So I have this, path that I've been on since I was in college. Um, I was a terrible college student. Let me be very clear. I was bad. At one point, I think I had a, a semester where my grade point average started with a point. Nice. So that's the problem, right? Um, but I was really involved in stuff, right? It kind of didn't matter what it was. I, I wanted to be involved in things. Um, and I was involved in like the resident student association, and I was involved in, I mean, to graduate school, don't ask me how, but I, I made it there. And like, I was involved in Greek life and I was involved in SGA. And in, in that particular sort of like setup of things, those extracurriculars, it drove me to this place of, yes, I am here to learn stuff, except for that one semester where I didn't learn stuff. <laughs> uh, but it was great to be exposed to all the people that I worked with. And I think that is actually the start of me understanding everyone's going to approach each question, each problem, each scenario super differently. And they're going to bring their background to it. And they're going to bring sort of everything that they have learned and known up until that moment. And as a communicator, whether it's on a product or an operations component, it is so critical for you to anchor what it is you're talking about on something somebody already knows because that's how people learn. They build up their learning. No one goes in and be like, you know, no math, let's do trigonometry. Like that's not how it works. Like you got to build up. And so um, starting with an understanding or at least trying to understand how do you approach this problem makes me a more effective communicator. And so that's probably where it comes from is that sort of starting point of I've got all these different people and where I went to university, like was, just an incredibly diverse set of people around me um, and exposed me, a kid from the suburbs of Philly, to a ton of new places and faces and people and like, like where people come from, um, how people identify, like all of that was all brand new 
um, to me. And, and it really sort of set me up for all the stuff is just communication. It doesn't really matter. I have to be communicating about technology, but the most important thing is, does the person on the other end of the communication get it? So my immediate question is, there's a, it's a statement and then a question, because that's what I do. You do, yeah. So I do that a lot. Uh, so there's a big difference between understanding and empathy, though, right? And oh. so how do you channel that understanding into actually enough empathy to be able to figure out how to position things to people? Because understanding the plight of a product is easy, in my opinion, right? Mm -hmm. Understanding the plight of a user can be easy, but communicating it to the user or communicating it to the product team is a different skill set. So how did you sharpen that blade? Um, it's a lot of want to. Like, it's a lot of, I really want the person on the other end to get it. I, I have an education bend in my background as well. So I used to like stand up in front of HR teams um, and teach them how to run their um, HR learning management systems. Like, you know, every company you work for that has some boring course that you need to go take, think about the person who has to sit there and figure out how did I get this into your learning queue? Right. And then imagine me, all the hair standing up in front of them being like, <laughs> and by the way, here's how you do that for five days. Like it was a, it was a, a incredibly rewarding, but really challenging existence. Right. And but you knew if you were able to communicate it to that person and they got it, they're going to be better at their job. And I had an old manager um, one day who said like he had hooked onto the learning and development space because if people are better at their jobs, then they're more likely to get promoted. And if they're more likely to get promoted, then they're more likely to get a higher salary. And if they're more likely to have a higher salary, then statistically, it's more likely that they stay with their partner. And if they stay with their partner, then you get two parent homes for the kids. So really learning and development is all about saving kids' lives. And I'm like, you've <laughs> lost your mind, I, but I love the train of thought, right? Um, and like, it is, it's this idea of if you can impart certain knowledge, right? And if you can get people to get it in a way that they actually get it for themselves and they have the want to to use it, like, then it's such a better experience for them going forward. Uh, that to me is is why, I guess. You really asked the question of why, so that's why. Yeah. All right. So so how though? <laughs> right. So so I so now we understand. I think it's good context for everybody to know sort of where you come from, right? So, you know, product operations, teachings, like, you know, speaking, all that stuff. Right. And you, you've become a very prolific speaker since you and I parted ways. You're on all the panels and all the places now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I stress out immensely, by the way, like as, as an introvert, every one of those, like uh, for those who can't see me on this video, like I'm a big dude, right? Like <laughs> I'm not small. Um, and uh, I am uh, of Jewish descent. So I fits a lot. <laughs> and the idea of being on stage um, just is like self-inducing in that. So, um, me and deodorant companies, like I need to like sponsor deodorant companies. Yeah, yeah. Hey, listen, we're, we'll see if we can hook you up with somebody. That'd be great. That'd be great. Um, but yeah, like the, the how some of it is, I, I kind of force myself, right? Like I, 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 I do, I speak a, a, a quite a bit now. Um, I stand up in front of my team, right? I've got 30 people who I um, work with right now who roll into me and, um, just standing in front of them for a couple of days is 
maddening at a certain level. And at the same point, by the way, I have to turn that all the way down. I'm like, we all have got to go hang out later. Um, and, right. and I got to be a normal person at the other side of it. Um, so there's, there's quite a bit of just like putting myself in that position, but then bringing that down to an individual level, right? Like I, so people who know me now, cause my role is more operations today, uh, know that I generally introduce myself as a recovering product manager. Like yeah, that's yeah, the way yeah. I do it. Um, but I, I do that intentionally one, because it totally sets people off guard and like, lets them think, Oh, this guy's just here. Um, but it, it helps sort of explain why I tend to spend so much time with people throughout my company, right? I believe that most successful people in product spend 50% of their time with their customers. That's an incredibly hard number to hit, but it is critical for you to like get it and understand and like understand. And then ultimately, if you can turn the dial a little bit further and say like, be empathetic to them, be like, man, they're going through a lot in their work. They don't have the tool that they need to do this efficiently. They're doing this repetitive thing over and over, or maybe not so repetitive Or I bet you there's a better way. You don't, you don't find any of that stuff out through a product feature request, none of it. Right. So like you have to go spend time with them. And so the how is, is a lot of like, yeah, it forces me to, to, like, I force myself. I have to go spend time with people. Um, I make a joke now. Uh, my team is very bi-coastal. Um, you know, LA, Seattle, uh, Florida, Bethesda, Maryland, and New York. Uh, I'm the second most traveled person in my organization. And we have a sales team. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, but, like, I live inside of planes and trains, and, and it's important to me. Because it's the way that I'm going to be able to pull out some of those nuggets that are going to make things better and things that I can identify and say, I can improve this, whether it's me or working with my team or be able to be the conduit of understanding between that person who's running into that problem and somebody who can solve it, whether it's through technology or, or any other means, right? I think some people just don't, they don't have the ability, not ability, that's wrong. They don't have the uh, impetus to go spend time with others to be able to start to pull out some of those nuggets that really can improve things for others. All right. So there's like five things I want to jump in on just that. But let's start with this. When you go, so spending time with people as a human is important, mm -hmm. right? Like, and learning what people need, like, that's just, that's literally, I mean, that's, we're, we're a tribal society. It's how we live. It's how we function. When you go now, Forget your role. Are you going with the intention of discovery? Are you going with the, like, is it just curiosity or is it like, what, what's, what's your driving principle? When you sit down with somebody, are you like, Hey, use this. I want to see how you do it. Or you're just like, Hey, what's good, homie. And just see what happens. Like, or where is it someone in the middle? So I, you and I uh, match up in this particular statement very, very often. I think words matter, right? I do not go in and say, what's up, help me. And I do not go in and say, show me this. I say, what's on your mind? Right, right, right. Because really specifically, there is no time that anyone could reasonably answer nothing at work. Not possible, <laughs> right. right? Like there better be something. Um, right. So like, that's my question. It's, it's what's on your mind. And sometimes it's a thing that I can't help with, right? It's an HR thing. It's, man, my team is not um, doing any, or my boss is, 
terrible. Like, okay, cool. But more often than not, it's for us in ad tech, it's this campaign isn't doing well. This product isn't really getting what I needed, right? It's really hard for me to traffic this tag and make sure that I get it right. Those are things that we can fix, right? Those are things that we can make better. It's, it's discovery, but it's not going in and saying, tell me your problems, right? It's instead just going like, you're in it day to day. You have problems. Let me just figure out and give you the space to answer it properly, right? It's the same idea like um, a lot of people who start like their one-on-ones, right? With their teams will go in and be like, so how are things, right? Right, okay, good or bad? Pretty binary answer in response. Uh, but if you start with an open question, like you kind of force the other person to think, right? So what's on your mind? Well, I didn't even think about that. Let me let me go in there and, and figure out what's in the Rolodex right now and right. So spill some of that. Like that's that's important, um, and that helps to draw out those items where you, if you listen really carefully, you can start to pick out those items. All right. So then, immediate follow up is how do you then instill that in, and how do you te- can you teach that to your team? So that it becomes an organizational philosophy and not just, you know, St. Ryan who comes around and <laughs> makes people yeah. feel better. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I've had um, mixed success with that. Um, I, I also, I run an operations team and I teach everybody in my operations team how to write a user story, right? It's, it's one of those things where I go like, that's not... That's not a special thing that's locked away in product land, right? It's right. it's intentional because it sets up a really clear structure for communication and, and sort of understanding. How many of those sort of structures can you put in place so that the person on the other end who does need to learn it, right? And they do need to sort of, whether it's build empathy or at least have an understanding of structured communication to get what they need, um, has some tools themselves to do it. And that's sort of the way that I structure it with my team in operations now. It's, I understand you are trying to get to a very black and white answer. You have to help the person on the other end meander through the gray, right? You have to help get them to the place where they can get you, here is actually what I'm trying to accomplish. Well, again, sort of that building on learning, like starting everybody with, there is no such thing as requesting a button, right? Like you can't, you can't do that. You have to say, I'm this person, I need this because I have an outcome that I'm trying to drive. Most people actually can articulate that. They just think the solution is a button, right? right? As opposed to the outcome, figure out what the outcome is. Drive yourself to get to the outcome. Um, so you can teach it a bit as long as you sort of teach the structures. You can't teach the care to be really clear. Like people are going to care or not. Right. You can incentivize care. You can tie it to individual success. You can demonstrate it, right? Like my team knows I care a lot. And like that is something that some of them really, really grab onto and like gravitate towards. And others don't as much. And that's okay because we have open conversations of like, if you're here to punch in and punch out, like still valuable to the team, keep doing that. Right. But if you care and you say like, I want to grow and I want to figure that out, like, those are the things that help you grow, um, at least in organizations that I've been part of, like care along with drive and sort of grit, right? Like those three things are like, they're the things that can, can help push you. So I want to I dive in a little bit on the idea of 
right? Teaching people to go and like in the gray, right? Operating mm-hmm. in the gray. Because one of the things that I remember, and like I still struggle with this. Um, Parenting is a really good parallel for this one. But the idea that like getting someone through the gray without leading them to your destination is a really, really difficult thing. Yep. Especially, and I'm going to speak on behalf of your team, even though I'm not on it because I can because it's my podcast. But like in a bigger, bigger organization where goals are very, 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 very specific, right? They know you guys know, like you have shareholders, like there's a very specific endpoint. Yep. I would imagine that there is a balance that needs to be achieved in the gray, which is like letting people, and I love that you said giving people space, giving people the space to figure out what they're actually struggling with that day, right? And what's on their mind, but also landing the plane somewhere. <laughs> where you're driving to solutioning in a in a way that is feasible, possible, reasonable, what you know, smart. Pick some acronym, yeah, whatever acronym yeah. you want to use. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's interesting for me, largely because even when when you and I say operations team, you have a pretty crisp understanding of what that means for my role without me giving you a whole lot of description. Um, but my team right now also consists of our creative services team. Oh, interesting. Talk about a team that's like wildly different in terms of the way that they think and the way that they work and what can motivate them. Um, and what has been really important with this group has been anchoring them all to the same thing. It is still about a metric. For us, it is revenue. Like, it, And at, for almost every company, it's going to be revenue. But like, yep. <laughs> in particular... <laughs> I think in particular for a team that hasn't previously been anchored that way, right? To explain to them, no, no, this is, this is a revenue thing. It is not just about like how much joy there can be. Joy can also be a metric. It's a great metric. It's just not one that my shareholders care about, right? So right. like for, for, for this role, for this company, it's a revenue metric. And anchoring everybody to it in some way and drawing the lines and saying like, I don't actually care how you get there right? You just need to end up where the thing that you produce as creative or straightforward as it is still can tie to that, right? Right. Um, Because yes, landing the plane is important. Um, I don't know if you've had this experience, if you've had like younger employees, like interns and things like that. Um, The first conversation I have with almost every like new employee, intern, et cetera, is Hey, so this isn't school anymore. I'm not going to give you a syllabus and hope you produce something at the end of a period of time. I need you to deliver something tomorrow. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you what it is and I'm not necessarily going to guide you, but like the delivery is part of the process, right? It is actually what you're here to do is deliver on a daily basis. It doesn't need to be complete. I it it is my like pet peeve with younger employees, like less experienced employees who are like, oh, I can help with more. I'm like, you can't, because I don't have the thing that I asked for already, right? Like, <laughs> deliver me that, and then I will add more to your plate. Right. Um, but it, it is part of that is maybe changing some of that uh, mentality as people come out of school, where they go like, oh yeah, I'm going to take on like 15 things, and I'll just you know do all of them at the same time, and at the end of some period of time, I'll just drop all these projects and be like, look how good I am. I was like, no, this isn't helpful, by the way. Like five of these are wrong because you can go talk to good people. 
right? right. And get good information. Five of these are meh and five of these are great. And I'd love for you to do more, but we're out of time now. Right. Right. And so you can't incrementally build on it. And so, um, yeah, you, you got to anchor people, but, but also sort of like give them the feedback and sort of check on the delivery to make sure that not to guide them down the path, but just continue to give them encouragement. Like that is a valuable path to go on. See, that's interesting because I, I think of that and look, you know, important context, just in case people don't know, you work at T-Mobile, which is an enormous organization with lots of people, right? And we met in startup land where mm-hmm. we had not nearly enough people and way too many things to build. I occupy that space still because I can't stop. <laughs> it's a fun space. It is a fun space. But so that's interesting, right? Because then I I hear that and there's a part of me that thinks as a shareholder, as a, you know, executive, like, yeah. But then there's this other, there's this other part of me though, that's like, but like, kind of just let them build cool shit though, right? Like maybe just let them go off in a little, in the wilderness and come home once in a while. So sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I I don't, it's not meant to discourage, go off and build cool shit. It's keep me in the loop. I don't even need to comment. Right. I need to see you progress incrementally, right? Right, right, right. I need to make sure, like at some point, I might need to throw up a guard and be like, hey, we run an ad company, so that's cool that you want to get milk to someone faster, but like that's not what we're going to be able to do. Right. Right? So like you're, it's cool. Can you pivot it to apply it to our space, right? Right. Like I need to check that you're in the realm. Right. Uh, yeah. if, you're, if you're in a different world, mm, let's come back to this one. But it's not intended to sort of say like to push people in a direction. It's just to ensure that you ultimately, somebody can maybe gain some benefit from your own experience, but also to just to make sure that like there's some ability to continue momentum there. Right. And particularly for interns, that, that happens a lot where they're like, I did this thing. It's all good. And like, they're like, yeah, but now I'm gone. I'm like, oh, I, to even pick this up and keep going is hard. It's super hard. Yeah. It's one of my favorite. I'm sure you probably, we've, I've probably said this to you before, but like one of my favorite analogies in engineering in particular, but it applies everywhere is like, there's three kinds of engineers, right? There's indoor cats, outdoor cats, and dogs, right? <clears throat> so outdoor cats are, give them like food and water on the porch. They'll come home when they're hungry like individual contributor status, have a good time, yep. right? Indoor cats like need attention and they need to be part of the product. They want to be pet. They're around, mm-hmm. like they're not going to help you a ton. They're still engineers, but like ultimately they kind of want to do their own thing, but they, they want to be in the house though. They don't want to go outside. They want to be fed. They want like their warm blanket. And then every once in a while you get dogs who are just like, you know, golden retriever energy, just all up in your stuff, having a mm-hmm. good time, like throw the bone, sleep in the bed, the whole deal. And as I've matured, I've realized that that's not, I always used it for engineers because engineers like that, because a lot of them like being outdoor cat, like they like that construct. Yeah. But now everyone I work with, I'm like, indoor cat. Oh, you're a dog. <laughs> but I think there's something interesting in that too, right? I think you need all three. 100% agree. Like that's super important to have the mix, right? Because yeah. if I, what would drive me insane in my current role, we're like, everybody who works for me is smarter than me at the thing that they do. Like, right. I can't do anything that they do anymore. Like, I, I just can't. My entire career. <laughs> yeah. We've been on a path. Um, 
But like, could you imagine having like 30 outdoor cats? No. I'd lose my mind. Yeah. I'm sit there constantly questioning my own, like what value am I providing? Right. I, I need the mix because the mix is actually what helps me ensure that I'm maintaining sort of a pulse on where we're going. And I'm making sure that um, when there are changes from above, right? Um, when I have appropriately meat shielded my team, I've stolen that from you. That one's mine now. Um, <laughs> when, I've, when I've played that role well enough and there are things that need to get down, I don't have to wave my hands and go like a crazy person. Like you need to pay attention to me just for me to communicate this. Right. There's a knowledge that like, if I'm saying it, because I've let you be in each one of your spaces, the dogs are going to pay attention because they're dogs. Right. The indoor cats are going to pay attention because they know I'm really there to provide them support when they need it. Right. The outdoor people are like, if he's talking to me, I need to pay attention. Right. And like, you kind of need all of them and you need to understand each of them as you, you sort of deliver for the team overall. Right. Well, that's, that's why the unmixed signals thing I thought was fun for you because this idea is, and, and team structure is a big deal, right? And like understanding and look, everybody's unique. Like I'm not trying to put people in, in, in buckets here, but like there are certain like personality types that do certain things and understanding at all times that A, your team benefits from having all of those different types and B, that you can't deliver the same message to them all at the same time. Because like, if you all of a sudden talk to dogs, like you talk to outdoor cats, they feel neglected. Yep. Absolutely. And if you try to talk to outdoor cats, the way that you talk to dogs, they're like, bud, you better back off right now. <laughs> like, well, let me give you the, a bit of a construct that, that, I run into a lot because I feel like a product-oriented operations person. Okay. Product people are generally okay with change. Yeah. They better they be. Are, they are instigators of it most often. Right. Operations people, not so much. Like, that's not their natural place. They don't just say like, oh, yeah, I'm going to dive in deep. And... I knew when I came into this position, like I came in and like, we were still, um, a lot of people use the phrase startup inside of T-Mobile, right? We're, yeah. we're building an advertising business to help other advertisers utilizing a bunch of things that T-Mobile has at their fingertips. So we're the startup inside of, of T-Mobile. That means by its nature, there's going to be a ton of change, right? Yeah. And like, we've had multiple DSP platform changes. Um, we've had, um, products that we've had in-house and be like, this is the product that we're all going out to, to market with that went up in flames in like three months, right? Like it changes a constant. It, it is truly a constant, but for particular groups of individuals, that can be more scary, right? Because change is not something an ops person wants to deal with in the system that they've entered all these very particular components right. of. And suddenly to have somebody come down and be like, actually the KPI for this is totally different. You're like, Whew, let me get the whiplash, you know, through to, to understand that you've got to then turn around and know that that is a problem. And they're going to have some foresight to say, like, they're going to have to deal with this. Let me just tell them now. Right. right? How do I get them a mantra of get comfortable with it? The opportunity comes from change, right? Like turn it to a positive, have them have something they can grab onto. And really sort of say, yeah, change is just our norm. That's not what operations teams generally do well. But I think if you've got that communication and that style and you're communicating it in the multiple ways that you need to, to the individuals on that team, you can help 
if you can't get them to change, maybe you can at least get them to the point where they go, well, that wasn't a surprise that change. Right. I've heard a lot of it. Right. And it's like, I don't have to be like, Oh, I have to react to this first. Like, no, 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 this was expected. Now I need to deal with it now that it's in front of me. So just now we're going to go down a different path. Cause I'm curious what being that you get to straddle this line, right. Between product and ops, right. Which is like inherently, you know, some people, and, and I say this with love, I've always loved operations people and I have to do ops at my company. So that's fine. I guess I get to say this, but like they're the product prevention team, mm-hmm. right? Like that's been a long sort of standing industry joke in tech, right? It's like mm-hmm. ops is product prevention because if you ask them, Hey, we're going to do a thing. Like their immediate answer is always like, no, <laughs> like uh-uh, let's not. So do you see that changing? Now that you get to be in both, because like the truth is, is that things are moving. I mean, we've been in this industry ish for, I don't know, 10 to 20 years, pick a number. Yeah. yeah. But like the rate at ch- the rate of change in the past, like five years now, let alone the last like 24 months is obscene. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I kind of feel like, is it, is that changing? Like, are people getting more accustomed to change? And is that, helping your ability to make things faster or is it still very much like uh, people are not into this and they're pushing back even harder? Um, I think people are more accustomed to it, but I think part of that is you're right that the industry has changed incredibly fast, but I also think it's changed in ways through, you know, We've been through a ton of consolidation. We have new things coming to to the forefront. You know, I don't read an email right now that doesn't say AI or ML in it somewhere. Yeah. Um, like those things are clearly coming, obviously. Um, I hope so. <laughs> I, uh, all of that happening has sort of interestingly sort of said, Ops, you're, you're here to drive business and you have to be along for the ride. Right. It's, an, it's an imperative, right? Like they, they don't have that much of a choice at this point because the person who stands up and goes, what's option C? It's like, no, 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 no. There's option A and there might be a B. Like there isn't a C anymore because right. if you think that you have time to figure out C, it's passed you by. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we've had some very interesting scenarios in our own world. We had one of our major platforms go bankrupt over the course of a weekend, July 4th weekend. So easy to get everybody on the phone, right? Yeah. Um, Super convenient. Yeah. And you know, you, you've, you make decisions, hopefully in preparation for that, it occurs, you get the team to pivot and you've got like one or two people being like, what about this thing over here? I'm like, listen, there's a ton of opportunity cost that's gone into where we are. I'm okay spending a couple minutes to ensure that that thing isn't massively better or spending a bulk of my time trying to make this thing work. But if you're talking about an incremental gain that's relatively small, I don't know if it's worth the time because you know what's going to come next? Another massive change too. So if you spend all of your time worrying about like the three or four different paths that you've got, like pick two and like really dig in onto um, cause you get to paralysis by analysis. Um, the, the time that you have anymore, at least in the ops world to spend analyzing 
is also much shorter because of the rate of change and because you still have to get done the work that's in front of you. See, I feel like that's true for product too, which brings me to, uh, you mentioned something earlier and I'm kind of interested, I'm not kind of, I'm very interested in your particular opinion on this. I am more and more, inter- now this isn't true for all tasks to be clear. Engineers are engineers and SDETs are SDETs and finance is finance to some extent. But when it comes to product and operations and design and UX and like a lot of that stuff that sits in what I have always lovingly referred to as the gooey middle of most companies, I am leaning more and more towards generalists mm-hmm. than I am really hyper-specifically talented people. And that's not to take away from people that are like a point solution, absolute, like just like killer. But I do think that ops people that think like product people and product people that thinks like ops and product people that understand design philosophy and design philosophy people that understand engineer. Like I really do think that that generalism thing is way more interesting because it allows for left and right movement across like, you know, just like your thinking plane gets wider. Absolutely. Do you I, feel I, the I, same or am I crazy? Cause I, live no, I, feel, I feel absolutely the same. And, and I will tell you, we have the benefit right now of, um, so I lead our media operations team, uh, a woman by the name of Jess Zhu, who is absolutely lovely, leads our product organization. And we each have a very strong understanding that we are far better when we are using the other person as a bit of an, a, a, a reflection of, e- of each other, right? So I teach my team user stories. She tells her team, she better, they better spend time with us, right? right. And like, and like, get it. And they go, can I run a campaign? And then I freak out. I'm like, no, I don't really want you to run a campaign. Um, but too close. It's too close. <laughs> yeah. But like, you want to watch us? Like, you want to you like dig in and like understand how we got to that configuration? Absolutely. Um, and, you know, the, the platforms that I'm seeing most recently, when you peel back a layer of the onion, you go, so who was sort of the, the lead product person on this platform on this? The best ones, they're all ops people. Like they're yeah. recovering ops people and they're like, no, no, no. I knew where a bunch of the problems were because yeah. I actually lived this. Um, and it's, it's stuff that the business doesn't think about as much, right? Gooey middle. Um, in our world, copy features, copying a campaign to you know, yeah. duplicate it. Like you think it's just copy, right? It's right. just copy and paste. Like it's relatively straightforward. A terrible copy feature can like ruin an operations team because it just takes them so much time to correct it in real time. Yep. A great copy feature is like worth its weight in gold, right? Yeah. Because you're just, it, it can make the team so much faster. And that is something that people who are specialists who don't spend the time to understand that they really need to understand the other person, um, they don't get. Um, and I, I hire this way too, right? When I hire folks, um, I, <laughs> people hate the way that I hire, uh, <laughs> which is, it's fine. Uh, I really like it. Uh, I have a really low bar for your resume because I'm not hiring you to create a resume. Uh, like that's not the thing. I, I need to be able to get to soft skills. So yeah. we don't do a ton of behavioral questioning and that sort of thing. Um, and my team is not allowed to say like, oh, they're not a good fit screw that. Like, can they do the job? Um, but you can measure on the soft skills, right? Yeah. I think they can do the job, but their communication 
in person might suffer. That's a reasonable reason to go, okay, it's not fit, but they might not work out well here, right? right. Um, if you can give them a test to think, right? Um, I try to really minimize the amount of like homework that we give any candidate, particularly at the lower levels. I really just want to see like, do you have grit? Are you going to work through problems yeah. and communicate well around them? Um, if you can do that, I feel generally comfortable that I can teach you a lot of this. And that's not me saying that anymore on my own. My next level down and the level down below that are also saying that, right? It's like, yeah, DSP and SSPs, we could teach that stuff. No big deal. Yeah, my, my, I've always felt, and, and I, I got to witness this for, well, I got to witness the opposite of this, and then I got to witness it. And I, I think a lot of it had to do with, like, in my career, what's happened. But, like, my my instinct has always been to hire for a ceiling. Like, if somebody's in a room, and it's not the whole it factor, like, that sucks. I don't, <laughs> there's no such thing. Like, but, like, if somebody comes in and they're, you know, charming and charismatic, great. Like, did they, do you believe that they're going to be able to learn the stuff quick? Yep. Versus somebody that comes in that knows all the stuff. But if somebody else comes in and they're like hungry for it and really interesting, like those people to me are always more like in my experience have always panned out better for me. And that could very much be my managing style, by the way. Like that might just be because they fit better in the way I run an operation. Like, and I get that. But I yeah, I don't know if that's, I, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't try to qualify your statement with your management style. I think what you're you're describing it slightly differently than I do. I try to hire for potential. Yeah, right? ceilings and floors. Yeah, same deal. Yeah, yeah, ceilings and floors, same concept. Um, and like, not only do I hire for potential, I manage to potential. Yeah. Right. And so I, I don't know if you've ever heard the the HR nine box concept. Sure. It's it's both brutal. Like yeah. the idea that you can plot every person. Like yeah, that's a shitty way to do that. But at the same time it can give some context for individuals on like where, where you can as a manager or as a team leader or even as a team member understand how things are going to go or like where things are going to go as new opportunities present themselves, right? If you can plot somebody in that high potential group, even if they haven't had the time to perform, that is a really key indicator to go and I can invest more time there. Because yeah. that's, that that's the resource that we have, right? It's the one resource we can't get more of. There is no more time. And so you have to be selective. You have to be ruthless around prioritization, right? And because of that, you have to spend some time really understanding. Now, I, I've never actually drawn out a nine box of my team, like not once. But I conceptually sort of can drop everybody into where I think they would be right. on the fly, and that is an important thing, I think, skill to have so that you can understand where you invest time and so that you can also understand where you don't invest time. And I don't mean that as a negative. I mean that high performer who doesn't actually even want to take the next step in their career. They're just happy being the high performer. They're your outside cat. Just let them go. Yeah. Right? Like let them go do the thing and be awesome at it. And when there's like a management opportunity be like, look, we've had this. I know you're an outside cat. You don't want to do this. Right. So I'm going over here. FYI, but that's it. That's all you're going to get is the FYI. Yeah. Because you're sitting in that high performance, low yeah. potential box and you and I know it. Right. Right. It's not hidden. It's we're both here. 
you're happy. And until you tell me something's going to change, I'm happy for you to stay there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, and I, I think that's changed a lot in the last like 10 years that I've noticed for sure. And I, I think one of the biggest things, and it's fun in the sense that I think like Gen Z is going to be uniquely positioned to be the best at this, right? Which is like super, super high tolerance for the truth. Mm-hmm. Where like, you know, I, we're a very output based organization right now. And what I mean by that very specifically is like, I don't really care how much or when you work. It's not particularly interesting to me. So if you have 40 hours a week that you can do in 10, I mean, good on you. Right. But if you want to do 40, when you could be, when that's like almost like 120, like yeah. I'll pay you for that. Yeah. Like there's, there's, there's something to be said for that, but like being able to actually communicate that to people and go, look, you get to choose your own adventure here. Right. Like that's a thing that I don't think you and I saw when we were first coming up. Right. No. There was still a lot of like military time and grade sort of like attrition based <laughs> sort of like yeah. movement where you got, you either stayed around long enough to get promoted and get the job that you either did or didn't want, or specifically in sales, the amount of sales managers I saw that like just got pushed in. Cause they were like, capped and they're like i don't know what else to do like i guess i'll do this now engineering managers too right yeah how many engineering managers are you like and you don't want to manage at all you just want the best engineer that you can be which can be great because you might 3x the people around you yeah but can you teach how to 3x in engineering Mm, probably not and it might just want to even want to right like that's the other thing that i'm happy about with a lot of this like reformation stuff that's happening is like I think orienting around what people want to be doing is so much more interesting than what you hired them for. Yep. Right. Like it's totally fine. Like, you know, the pivot like gets embraced in big, you know, startup culture all the time. But then like at the micro level, I feel like we don't appreciate enough that like sometimes you accidentally find out that you've got like a killer product person laying around and you're like, Oh, you know what? Like you don't belong here. Right. Or like a marketer that you're like, you should be in sales. (laughs) Sorry. I was looking at my, my bookshelf. I don't know if I can quickly find it. Like there's two things there, right? One, uh, the best book I read on a similar subject is is something called smart cuts. Yeah. Like everybody loves this idea of like, Oh, I have a linear career path. I remember. So I got hired at JP Morgan in 2006. I worked in like a back office financial group, right? Like the most, now, as I think about it, like boring possible job ever. <laughs> uh, but I remember, I remember going home probably about five months in. I uh, told told my mom whom I was living with. Uh, I was like, I'm going to be a J.P. Morgan for like the rest of my life. I was month six. In month seven, I got laid off. Right, right. So like, <laughs> taught me a lesson real quick. Um, yeah, yeah. But like, I think about a lot of my career steps since then and they're they're incredibly non-linear yeah it's like moving around like even even in this conversation i've talked about i was a trainer i worked in the financial sector i was at student affairs for a while uh and then i got into ad tech which is its own version of like tech and ad things right like it's 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 a weird sort of like redheaded stepchild of both of those worlds Um, i like ad things i want a sticker that says i do do ad things It's it's a good just it was it's a, a more positive version of the creepy stuff on the internet like ad things right <laughs> um, and so the idea of like having 
and embracing a nonlinear career path for someone is super scary. But I agree with you. I think this generation is well is way more equipped to be able to embrace that yeah. compared to generations past because we were never taught that that was okay. You picked your major, and right. then you just kept going on your major, right? And like now, there's there's so many more opportunities to go like. Oh yeah, I picked a major, but also I'm an influencer. I do this, this, and this, right? right? So like, yeah. it's sort of innate within the group. And I will say for for like best product people, best product people I've ever met have had very little IT background when they show up, right? Yeah. You and I know, you and I know the English major. Name check Andrew. Who is like one of the best product people I ever had because he walked in with way more empathy than even I show right. in terms of him really listening. And he could communicate because he was just an English major. Right. And he really thought, I mean, just an English major is a terrible way to say that. Um, but he really, really thought about how technology could help. But he didn't think about it in that phrase. He just did it. He's also the guy who like was the first person to ever show me a, a to-do list that like synced across other devices. It's like, yeah. this is remember the milk. And I'm like, that's how did you how did you bring this to me? Right. Like right. it's yeah. unexpected. It's like those individuals who are unexpectedly good at product. Um, most of them just need the opportunity to do it and have some inkling to like have empathy for what it is that they need to build for and who they need to build for. And like that yeah. to me is that's what's cool about product roles generally. Yeah. Well, you, you've heard my, I mean, I've always referred to myself as an accidental product manager and a reform yeah. salesperson because I just had bad products. Yeah, like exactly. the only reason I got into products was because I had really bad ones. And I was like, you guys gave me a goal and I like money. So I need to hit this goal and these products suck. So yeah. something got to change. And then luckily I was surrounded by really cool people. But yeah, I, I, I'm really bullish on where I think product is heading because I feel, listen, there's a lot of negatives for sure with social media and how the internet has evolved and all that stuff and this whole like personal brand nonsense. But the idea that people understand how to think about themselves and everything they do as the product, mm -hmm. I do think means we might be heading towards better products. I, I will give you, I, I agree with you, but I'll give you one additional sort of thing. And, and I've spent um, the last four-ish years working on an out-of-home advertising product, right? That's how I ended up at T-Mobile. Out-of-home advertising does something I actually think that most digital products are going to continue to do more and more of, cross into the real world. Yeah. Right? And like, the people are always going to be in the real world. Like, I don't even care if you plug into the matrix, right? Like, that's <laughs> fine. But like, they're always going to be some component of the real world. And more and more digital products are actually becoming universal products where they are both digital and in the real world. And like that to me is incredibly exciting because to your point, the individuals who are using them have this native ability to say like, yes, that's just included in this. Right. Right. When you and I were kids, it had to be the very clear, like I'm going online and please don't pick up the telephone right, when right, I right. dial up AOL. Right. And like, that's totally gone. Yeah. Right. That doesn't exist anymore for people who are you know in their teens right now. But it's one step further than that, where it just is always part of them, yeah. right? And those digital products that they utilize all the time, they don't discern the difference between a digital product and non-digital product. Like 
if you've gone up, look, one of the products that I hate the most, but I bash on it so much that I probably love it is like the Coca-Cola freestyle machine. Sure. I think they're ridiculous. At the same time, they now have QR codes that you scan from your phone to get a special flavor. Yeah. And even though that's two digital concepts, right? You have to bridge the real world to real world to do it. That's natural for so many people. Yeah. Where, you know, my first QR code company, which was mm, 12 years ago now, by the way, I don't run a QR code company. So like it clearly failed. Um, <laughs> but like it was, it was massive amounts of training that we would go into our users and be like, no, no, just take out your phone and scan it with the camera. And they're like, what? What does yeah. this do? And like now it's just so natural. Um, that to me helps that speed of innovation because the speed of adoption is also much faster because we can just like leverage and look at the very specific things that individuals just do natively yeah, and use those to build products. Whereas before it was like, now make sure you hit the start button to, to launch your product. Well, I think so. There's a whole, I mean, I have an entire chapter in my book about the QR code and how we screwed it up because it was a beautiful technology that we rolled out poorly. And then you look at voice and it's like, we did the same thing. And I actually am obviously very paying very close attention to and very nervous about AI for the same thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Because the truth is, is that now like access is no longer an issue. Right. Right. Like my dad uses a phone pretty successfully question mark. Like he's got most of it down. Right. And he's like a lot of by choice. Like he doesn't want to, like, he's like, right. it's, it's annoying. I don't like it. It's not that he doesn't like, like he just doesn't want to know more than he needs to know. And I think now like we have to be so much more cognizant as product developers and owners about the introduction of these technologies and their intention because the, you know, like I, I, I've said it on the podcast before, but I'll bring it up again. Like generative art is cool and it's going to be used for porn. Like Absolutely. just immediately it's going to happen and it's fine. Like it's, it's okay. Like it is what it is. But like we, as the owners of and deliverers of these products, it is now, in my opinion, it is incumbent on us to recognize that and build that into the communication strategy. And I'm going to bring the whole thing back to the beginning, unmixing the signals of what is happening here mm -hmm. as for users and for organizations and for companies and for product teams and marketing teams so that we have like a really, really fluid through line as to like what's cool and what's not cool, man. Cause like everybody's so much better at this stuff now. <laughs> Totally. And I'll, I'll challenge you too, because you can do this in a different space than I can. That's really important. And it's more important for somebody in your experience and your level to teach the PMs that you are working with that that's important. Yeah, fair. Because they don't, they don't know where those lines are. Yeah, no, totally fair. All right, we're we're we're. Pro I could talk to you forever, but we're approaching the time where I, I have to let you go be with your family. So uh, I have nine questions, which I sent you, and as I do to everybody, I send them under the like basically cloak of secrecy, knowing that all of the people that I care about the most in life will not read an entire email I send because I'm too verbose, so they <laughs> never get to the end. So these are going to be a surprise to you again. <laughs> well, well. Uh, they are inspired by Bernard Pivot and James Lipton, uh, so you will be at least somewhat familiar, but I have, of course, changed them just a little bit for the product slant. 
I will not be doing my Robin Williams impersonation while you do this because it's too bad because I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it. Okay. <laughs> so the first question is, what is a quote or concept that you love? Um, I I love the concept of um, all decisions are temporary. Mm. I think that is has one of the more powerful um, underpinnings of it is okay to make mistakes. Yeah. You better learn from them. Like I just love that idea of going giving yourself the freedom to go try something yeah right? and just go back if you need to it's fine who cares oh she's pretty i like that one all right uh quarter concept that you dislike i'm gonna steal one I, the hustle culture I, I heard it from you know like man i fucking hate hustle i think it's stupid <laughs> and 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 i hate it more today than i hated it when i was in startups um but i think it's just if not more um more negative in startup world than not, right? Like, I don't know. I think you actually said something interesting that I, I want to like just very quickly comment on myself, which is that like this idea of startups and big companies, mm -hmm. like what I think is what I find fascinating having been in startup land for 10 plus years now, if not longer, oh God, longer is, oh God, um, so much longer. <laughs> but, but is that, some of the stuff that I think I'm not saying that you guys do this. I don't think you did because I get to talk to you a lot, but so many of the things that get adopted as a startup into big companies are the, the dumb things. Yeah. It's the worst parts of startup that they're like, sleep, no sleep, put up, do shit, get shit done on the walls. It's like, that is the, that's the stuff we did wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. the good stuff. Yeah. Well, we, we, we did. I don't even want to say out of necessity. It was out of sheer being stupid. Right. Cause like, yeah. Hustle culture gives you this excuse to not value people, the fact that they are people. And like, look, I, you and I both know a ton of people who have grinded themselves through two or three or four startups. And then they're like, I'm out. Yeah. And like the industry is worse because of that, because that person and the experience that they've gone through is incredibly valuable. At the same time, I am so happy for those individuals who found joy on the other side of getting yeah. out. It was a joke when we were in, when I was in my first ad tech company. Oh, your next job, you're going to be an ad tech or not? You're going to get out or not? Yeah. And right. like some people got out and like more power to them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. A job other than your own that you would love to have. So I, I say this and uh, I think I know the next question too. So just be prepared. I fantasize about being in construction, like actual physical construction. Cause like the idea of like building things that aren't bits is kind of yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, the idea of being able to like check in and check out and be like, do exactly how much work I can in that time frame. There's something really nice about that. And my father was a mechanic. And so like, I think I get a little bit of like, see it done and like do it smarter from him. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, like I, I do fantasize about that. All right. what's, what's your, your job? Question? A job that you would never want. I, also construction. Also construction. <laughs> I'm not built for it in any way, shape, or form. Like I cannot. My hands are too soft. Like yeah. absolutely not. But I, I do like. There's there's some joy to be found in just being able to build stuff. That's so good. Yeah, yeah. The the the. I find it. It's a it's a through line for a lot of us in our world, which is like wanting to build things in the physical reality. Like, that's why I love cars, right? Like why I love building cars yeah. and why I'm a chef, like, well, I'm not a chef, but I'm, I'm a cook, right? Like I want to be able to like physically make things too. I spent, I spent 10 years trying to, to 
identify where my work was for friends and family. Like, do you know that ad on Hulu? I didn't put that ad there, but like a different ad might show up somewhere else. And like, that was it. And when we did, when we were doing Octopus, so like Octopus, these, these tablets in the back of rideshare vehicles, it was such a joy to get the text message yeah. at two in the morning from somebody who was downtown in LA and be like, I saw an octopus and they took a picture of like the trivia game. It was so cool. Yeah. I'm like, I, it's such an amazing feeling to be like, no, 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 that that's my thing. Right. Yeah. And like, you weren't planning to go to it. You didn't have to go to a URL to find it. Like it serendipitously showed up in front of friends and family. And so like, good. Ryan, this is your thing. And I'm like, I know it's so cool. I know. That's great. Yeah. All right. Uh, what turns you on spiritually, creatively, or emotionally? Um, that's a good question. I thought so. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a parent now. So like the spiritual aspect of that, like the thing that sort of gets me going daily, like the cliche version is my kids. Yeah. But the, the real answer to that is like the problems my kids encounter. Yeah. I'm like not trying to solve them but trying to support them as they solve them. Yeah. It's a different way to do it. And uh, it's cool. And man, you got to be careful because you, you can overstep that line and you're like, Oh, I just did this for you. Like, I don't want that. Um, yeah. I want them to figure it out. Love that. I love that. Uh, what turns you off spiritually, creatively, or emotionally? <sighs> I, I don't like people who, I, the thing that turns I, I struggle a little bit with the verbiage of your question, so bear with me. The thing that turns my energy way fucking down is when I am pulling on a rope and my team, I've lined up people to pull on the rope and somebody who's supposed to be a team member is pulling in the other direction. Mm, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, I love that. That That is just such a, it's a gut punch. Every it's brutal. Time. It's brutal yeah. and, you, and you can't necessarily answer why and you can't figure it out. And you go like all ration maybe goes out the window when you have to talk through it. And it's just the thing you're just like, why am I investing so much? And I have all these other people around me trying to do this. And whether it's one or like a small group who's like, well, no, 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 no. Like, and, and look, big, cult, big company culture, there's a lot of that. And it's not negative it's it's innovators dilemma problems right it's they're not actually pulling the other way they're just trying to protect the thing that's there which is their job that's right right and like it's a lot of like rationalization of how do you deal with that situation when it comes up yeah totally fair also like you're such an empath that you're thinking about everybody else on the line i love that about you Uh, what's a product that you absolutely love um can be anything i i so it's not perfect. It is not a perfect product. I just got a new car. I got a Genesis GV70. It's my first ever electric car. Very nice. Um, it is also my first ever like luxury car, which yeah. feels weird to say. Um, but like I get in it and I just go like, there's so many things in here that just feel good. It's very, it's an incredibly tactile feeling and it just all feels really right. So most recently, that's one. I mean, you can't possibly answer a car and not have me love that answer. Uh, mm-hmm. What's a product you wish was better or have strong feelings about? The Coca-Cola freestyle machine. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, it's such a good opportunity. 
And it's so bad. And like, here's how I know it's a good opportunity. If you ever get the chance to go to Atlanta, there's a museum. It's the world of Coke. It is attached to the Georgia State Aquarium, which is the largest aquarium in the U.S. It's an amazing time. It's going to be great. You get a ticket for your both, right? Like you can get one ticket, go into both things. You go through the world of Coke and like they have all these rides and whatever, like shows. And at the end, they have a tasting room. And you have all these different choices of soda. And like it's every Fanta from around the world. And there's like this soda in Italy called Beverly that everybody hates because it's like a tart grapefruit soda. It's amazing. It's great I soda. Love, I love it, well. actually. It's wonderful. <laughs> um, and everybody hates on it. But you go to the end and you get a American Coke. And it's the best Coke you've ever had because it's like perfectly chilled. It's all those things, right? So Coke takes this, basically takes this idea. It's like, well, we're going to put that in every possible like fast casual restaurant across the country. And we're going to do it. And we're not going to figure out how to give proper buttons to dispense ice versus the soda so that my wrist is wet with soda constantly because I press the cup and I press the button at the same time. Like they just, they messed it up so bad on the first version. Um, and I just feel like it's such a good opportunity. And so I have very strong feelings about the freestyle. We're going to do an entire, I'm going to bring you on with the guy who I'm, who's, who's been on this podcast, by the way, whose team developed the app. I actually love the app. I'm going to stand behind the app. I was better. Yes. Yeah. Physical machine. I had some challenges with it. And we will, we'll do an entire, we'll do a whole breakdown. (laughs) Love it. You know me. I will dig into some details around. I know you will. I know. I can see it. All right. Last question. If you could solve any one problem through technology, what would it be? Um, I'm going to fall back to my kids uh, a bit. The right answer. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So my daughter, whom my first daughter, she is a rule follower, like a hundred percent rule follower. And um, I love her for that. But as an eight-year-old, that can be a really challenging place to live. And she gets it sometimes from other kids. Like she doesn't mean to, but she's like, she has, she is also an empath. She is such concerned that her classmate is going to get in trouble for doing a thing that she tells them and tries to sort of use authority around, you should stop doing that. I would love to figure out from a technology perspective, like how do you stop both my daughter and the kid from reacting? Like, and just like, I don't know, like a little green light. Hey, it's okay. Like something that pops up and be like, it's fine. Don't yeah, yeah. let it go, right? Because if, if she had a guiding hand, she wouldn't do it, right? right. I'd love to figure that out. That's a, a minority report version probably, but that's it's an area that some kids need some help. Listen, my oldest is the exact same. So I, I, I understand that uh, literally in my bones. Well, listen, I adore you. And I w- it would be, I'd be remiss if I did not take at least a second to, to thank you in public for being one of the first people who gave me the single greatest compliment I could ever get about my book, which is that you wanted other people to read it, I, which was I, literally still one of the nicest things anyone's ever said to me. <laughs> I, I, I do honestly think it's, it should be part of like any product manager's first jobs reading list. Like it's gotta be on there. Well, I'm, I hate this part because I don't do compliments, but like when you said it the first time, it meant a lot and now I'm going to ignore it because it makes me uncomfortable. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. I, I also hate compliments, so I, <laughs> I appreciate it, but like I, I have high tolerance for truth. Yeah, so. no surprises. Yeah. All right, Ryan, you're the best. Thank you so much. And uh, I look forward to seeing all the cool stuff you can do. Thanks, Shane. I appreciate it.